Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by The Spectator World. My name is Matt Purple, and I'm joined by my colleague, Amber Athey. And we're also joined today by Drew Holden, who is a freelance commentary writer. And we're going to be talking today about what may be the tagline, the slogan of the year, and that is Let's Go Brandon, which uh, originated as an unfortunate event at a NASCAR race where the, the spectators of the race were chanting something that we won't repeat on this podcast and uh, a reporter said, oh, they're chanting, let's go, Brandon, after the, the NASCAR race, who, a racer who was there. It's since become a kind of shorthand to tell off the president of the United States, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, it's entered the conservative lexicon. I know I was at a bar a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I think, Amber, you said it to our waiter, <laughs> yeah, and he right. said it back to you. It was almost like a secret handshake. Uh, it's it's really caught on, and it's become very powerful um, and I, I know that it's, you know, even reached the president's attention is my understanding here. Yeah. So what happened over Christmas actually was that Joe Biden and Jill Biden were making calls to families across the country, as the president usually does during that time of year. And he managed to get connected with someone who is not his biggest fan, a man out of Oregon. And at the end of the phone call, this uh, father managed to slip in a let's go, Brandon. And you know, conservatives kind of chuckled at it, thought it was funny. But the meltdown on the left, I think, was ended up being kind of the real story because it is now a few days after Christmas at this point, And we are still talking about this because there has just been this apoplectic reaction to what was clearly kind of a joking way of this guy saying, you know, I disagree with Biden's policies. And Drew, I know you were following the media reaction specifically and some of the actions that they took in the aftermath. So just go ahead and tell us a little bit about what the reaction was. Yeah, so what what happened in the wake of the Let's Go Brandon being announced is the media kind of all came together and decided that this was unacceptable, right? The way that they've described it, despite it being a handful of words that aren't a slur, right? By, by any kind of reasonable reading, there's, there's nothing, there's no obscenity, there's no slur there. Across the board, we saw it reported by a number of different outlets as using vulgarity or using a slur. So Bloomberg came out and said that the call ended awkwardly because... The, uh, the caller had used a slur used by some conservatives. We had ABC News saying that a father uses a vulgar insult during holiday call. Uh, and then NBC News says that a parent uses a right-wing slur during Biden call with NORAD Santa Tracker. <laughs> and so we've got something that I think under normal circumstances would have been a small, probably overlooked sort of thing. This guy, you know, he goes out, he puts it on his YouTube or whatever. But instead, we have it really blown up into this, this kind of national, very online conversation that we're now entering about day five of, where we're continuing to see headlines from different outlets and different kind of blue check talking heads on the internet who are incredibly upset that this man dared to insult the president uh, on Christmas. I think the worst part of it for me is that when you go back over the past five, six years of the Trump administration, vulgarity was so commonplace. It was actually celebrated by the left and the media. I mean, you had this woman who flipped off the president's motorcade um, and she was fired from her job, actually, um, which, I mean, we can argue whether or not that was that was justified, but she was touted as a hero. I think she eventually um, decided to run for Congress off of that viral moment. You had Robert De Niro yelling F Trump at an award show, and he was right. applauded by the clapping seals in the audience. And so I just... To me, it's so ridiculous how big the double standard is, considering how they loved when people, you know, spoke truth to power to Trump. And now all of a sudden this dad, you know, throws out this three word little slogan and there's this epic meltdown. 
Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. You know, taking it to the, the first case you mentioned is a woman named Julie Briskman, who is this biker. She's traveling alongside the Trump motorcade. Apparently, she kind of chased it down to be able to catch up with it. And it is a very viral moment where she flips off the motorcade as Trump is going by. And you're right. The reaction wasn't woman uses vulgar attack on president motorcade. It was she really very quickly became kind of this this uh, cause celebraire among the left and in the media. There was So this is back in, in October of 2017. There's a Washington Post headline at the time with a picture of this happening and said the cyclist flipped off Trump's motorcade and entered the annals of presidential protests. <laughs> Something tells me the Washington Post is not going to chase down this guy from Oregon and put him up on a, a pedestal and say that he is he has now taken his seat alongside great presidential protests in the history of the country. And so you're right that the double standard here really is ridiculous. And there's almost this kind of collective forgetting about the way that we thought about speaking truth to power or uh, at least expressing your discontent with the most powerful person on the planet. Once upon a time, it really was something noble and important that needed to be done. And now it's it's something where it's worth chasing down this guy's company and attacking them on Yelp. I may be the only person on the right who feels a little bad for Brandon Brown, the NASCAR driver whose name has become synonymous with this, because you know the, the dude is apparently pretty apolitical. That's what he told the New York Times, and yet his name has now become equated by a, with a significant by a significant part of the country with a curse word, essentially, and a and a, a, a secret code against the president. But it does call back to mind this question of you know is the left becoming more puritanical. I mean, are they having once thrown open these doors and, and demanded the right to you know, swear in public and to you know, talk about sexual terminology to really smash these taboos that we once had in society? Are they now the ones who are saying, well, wait a minute, we got to kind of close up. You can't you can't question the covid vaccines. You can't say, let's go, Brendan. Uh, Donald Trump. Oh, my gosh. He just gives me the heebie jeebies. He's so profane and what he's willing to say. It, it's almost like now that they're the ones with the cultural power they're demanding what maybe the right or the mainstream used to demand, which is this kind of censorious attitude. Yeah, I think that's that's right. And especially the appeals to decency, right? Uh, Rep. Eric Swalwell, who finds himself in these sorts of bizarre situations, I think all the time he finds himself kind of at centers of these these flashpoints, came out and said that we're, we're a more decent people than this. I, I can't believe that we're, we're this indecent. And it's really silly, I think, when you when you look back and say, well, how has decency been defined for these last few years? And why has it been defined that way? And I think you're right. I mean, I think there's all of a sudden the, the optics for a very small group of people have changed really radically, where we went from this once in a thousand year assault on democracy of Donald Trump to a time where we've all got to pull together and we kind of have this lovable grandpa of a, of a president. And that censoriousness, I think it at first it started to creep back in a little bit. But now that we're, I think when you, you know, you see kind of the next the next wave of COVID uh, and the the breakdown of the we're all in this together, it's almost as if we there's this demand from again a very, very small sect, I think, of people of the very online left and then the corporate press uh, in particular who are saying, no, no, like this, we made it through this weird moment and now we're going back to normal, not recognizing that for the rest of this country, we're still kind of in this weird sort of bizarre moment uh, and nothing's really changed with Joe Biden now as president. I think it used to be too that um, using subversive language or vulgarity um, in, in the way that you talked about people who were in power in the country was either celebrated or not, depending on how much power the person using it had, right? Like we used to support drown, downtrodden people or the oppressed using aggressive language to try to get their point across. And we would sort of scowl at the powerful when they would do it in reverse because they were supposed to be better than that in some way. Um, but now it's kind of the opposite because people are actually pushing media outlets to go after this guy 
go after the company that he works for. They're calling for him to be fired. They have, I mean, essentially doxed him to some extent by reporting out all of this private information about his life. And they're treating this guy like he somehow has the power to, I mean, undermine Joe Biden. I mean, he was talking to the most powerful person in the world. And now you have the media, which is one of the most powerful apparatuses in the country, going after him. And it just seems really backwards as to how we would normally talk about someone, I guess, the term we would normally use is speaking truth to power. Right. I think that's right. And, you know, a little bit of it, too, I think is particularly since January 6th, we've really seen this this kind of cultural shift in terms of that speaking truth to power narrative where all of a sudden a lot of people across the country on the left and within the media have decided that actually lurking out there are all of these really, really bad people that we haven't really fully taken stock of yet. You've got these mystery white supremacists, the Boogaloo boys, whatever, you know, all of these different people who are supposedly this really, really kind of specific and deliberate threat to democracy. And so all of a sudden, as soon as you see someone who who puts up a flag, even very slightly in that direction, right, of saying that he, you know, he had a MAGA hat on in an interview he did with Steve Bannon, all of a sudden he kind of gets lumped in with the rest of this unwashable group. And so I think it's, you know, I think you're right in terms of we've seen this really dynamic shift in terms of being about power versus who is it who's saying it. And now all of a sudden there's almost this presumption that actually these, you know, there, there's this insidious thing that exists out there, kind of out in the ether, that is so dangerous, it's so bad, it's so threatening, they're attempting coups, they're doing this, they're doing that. Uh, And so it is almost like the media, and again, a lot of folks on the left, feel like they have carte blanche to go and attack this person, right? To seek him out and his family, the guy says he's getting death threats, right? To go out and uh, attack his, I guess he works for his dad's company, and so it's getting all of these downvotes on Yelp and everywhere else, where everyone is kind of expressing this anger and frustration over this guy, who really didn't do anything, doesn't have any power to actually do anything. But all of a sudden, he becomes this enormous threat. Hey, Drew, let me play devil's advocate for a minute here, because I I agree with you about the left, and I agree with you about the censoriousness. But uh, so far as Let's Go Brandon goes, it it is coming off as like an underground, you know, secret code, like, we're not allowed to speak our minds in public. And therefore, we're going to, to say this otherwise. But this crowd was chanting, F you Biden on TV. You know, people are free to express their point of view. There's a, a robust right wing media out there. And, um, I, you know, occasionally there's a bit of a persecution complex on the American right that can get on my nerves sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, like somehow they're not able to get their voice out there when they just elected a president and so on. Do you view this as being a part of that? You know, is it a little bit too much of a persecution complex? Is it just people trying to have harmless fun? Honestly, that's probably what I think it is. Yeah. Uh, how do you read that? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good point, Matt. So I, I think it's probably a little bit of both. So to me, in terms of what actually happened, it's mostly the harmless fun. But of course, as, as soon as the harmless fun happens, it reverberates in different ways across the internet and across the media and across social media and things like that. And so I think the first kind of strike you saw against everything that happened was this really outrageous, censorious kind of call on the left. But then I think we are seeing something in, among the conservative media and other people who are pushing back on are saying, oh, yes, we are we are being persecuted, right? Which is a little bit silly. I think one of the things that this guy, his name is Jared Schmeck, one of the first things he came out and said is that he's being persecuted for his God-given freedom of speech. And you know, that's not, to me, that strikes me as a little bit ridiculous, right? He said something that was 
whether or not we think it was a big deal, I certainly don't think it's a big deal. Uh, but it, it was crass and juvenile. And, you know, he's got this opportunity to talk to the leader of the free world and whatever. And so it probably shouldn't be a big deal. But the idea that people, particularly people who see the world differently, would come out and say, hey, man, that's like pretty dumb, um, I think is probably a fair, right, a, a fair way for other people to use their God-given First Amendment freedom of speech to go back and say, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. And so unfortunately, I think what's probably going to happen from here, if I can prognosticate a little bit, is you are going to see a little bit of that victim complex. And this guy's probably going to have a speaking slot at CPAC or something coming up where, you know, for the next 15 years, he's going to get up there and talk about how his whole life was destroyed because of this one silly choice that he made, when in reality, that probably isn't going to happen. It probably isn't going to be the case. Uh, And that, you know, I think there are a lot of people on the left and within the corporate press who are responding to some pretty strong incentives here to go out and get their clicks and get their, you know, their their kind of catchy, tasty headlines. And you're going to see that, I think, to some extent on the other side of the aisle, too. And I think we're already starting some of that. I want to talk about Biden's response a little bit, because I think there's sort of two differing opinions on it. And I know a lot of people on the right. So real quick, his response was, yes, let's go, Brandon. Like he kind of I, I don't know if he didn't understand what. I find it hard to believe he didn't, he hasn't heard this catchphrase before. I feel like he was kind of just brushing it off. And, but there was uh, a, a huge segment of the right that was like, look, this just proves that Biden has memory issues and he's, you know, in cognitive decline. But I actually thought it was kind of the perfect response because it was so, it was, it was almost petty in a way. Like, I don't even care that you just said that to me. And it was one of the most memeable moments of the Biden presidency. I mean, the left is terrible at memeing, but he just handed them this gold moment. It's just like that Don Draper moment in Mad Men where the guy in the elevator says, you know, I I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something like, I think that you're like a terrible person or whatever. And Don Draper replies, I don't think about you at all. I mean, that was like the personification Mm -hmm. of that meme. And so I just don't know why the right is trying to hammer the response of Biden as the moment to, to glob onto because it was actually kind of the perfect response. I, I think so too. Yeah. And I, I guess there are kind of two schools of thought of it, right? Because if, if you watch the video, you see that, that first lady Biden really cringes as soon as she hears it uh, for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> and President Biden doesn't. He just kind of keeps rolling with it. Uh, I think there's, you know, when you fit it into the broader narrative of this you know, the president of the United States doesn't seem like he has the mental acuity that he had 10 years ago kind of narrative. It's easy to say, man, he's really got no idea what's going on. But I think you're right. Like, I think there, you know, to, to take it back to the meme kind of level, there is a little bit of the Joe Biden licking an ice cream cone and saying, whatever, let's go, Brandon. Like, who cares? Right. But I think probably and I think the reason that it probably sticks with, you know, with, with a lot of people on the right is if this had been the response of folks on the left and particularly the media all along to the let's grow, go Brandon thing. If it was always like weird, uh, but okay, fine, let's, let's go with it. It's happening. Then I think it probably would have blown over by now, right? We wouldn't be having this conversation because some people would keep saying it, but it would really kind of have, have faded to the background, but instead because it's treated as this unsayable phrase, as a slur, as vulgarity, as, as the way that it's still being reported on, it, it breathes new life into it. And if, if, Biden was, in fact, trying to go the other direction. Uh, I think it would be really effective at helping kind of the left and the press really get over this thing. Drew, piggybacking off of your previous point about CPAC, I do think that eventually CPAC, there's just going to be no politicians speaking and it's just (laughs) going to become teenagers who are in the wrong place at the wrong time for the most part. Like, you know, this is like the new American right that's growing up is like, you know, kids who were caught on YouTube wearing MAGA hats and there was like a firestorm and now they're... The yeah, uncancelled or something. The, the uncancelled or something. Yeah, I think that was the theme last year, actually. But getting back into that, you know, I, I, I think that 
nobody forms or, or nobody joins anyway a political movement and nobody expresses their politics around you know gdp statistics or around the kind of uh, numerical empirical terms that sometimes we talk about them in uh, they become ad- adopted and conceal- congeal into cultural folkways right that's how people p- politics always collides with culture in a certain way you know we saw that with the tea party expressed through the gadsden flag for example and and various slogans that they came up with and now we're seeing that with you know let's go brandon and and these frequent cultural clashes we're having the maga hat for example is another similar symbol of this um so in some ways, then, I almost think it's a positive development because it shows that uh, the Republican Party isn't just a bunch of bow-tied politicians who are coming out and, and talking to people about how excellent corporate earnings were. Uh, they're, they're, yeah. they're turning into – perhaps it's a low culture, right? Perhaps it's you know not, not the classiest thing available, uh, but they're still making inroads into culture at least, mm-hmm. and that, that does seem positive, and that seems like how you're going to win elections. I, I think so too, and at, at the end of the day, that's how you're going to show people that you're listening to them, and I think one of the biggest failures of the modern GOP is that they haven't really done a good job about that, and you know I think that as, as lowbrow and as kind of silly the let's go Brandon thing is um, – I think embracing it will do better with with the base and not for nothing, right? Not for no good reason than trotting out the Nikki Haley's of the world to pledge about how terrible socialism is, right? And so to me, it does it does breathe an interesting degree of new life into there is something that we can all kind of get on board with. And there's some winks, there's some nods, there's this cultural undertone that is just always going to be more salient than this kind of, you're right, the highbrow, the Reaganomics and everything else that I think the GOP traditionally likes to hit voters with uh, that obviously bounced off and has been bouncing off for a long time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available.